Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Senior Housing News Editor Tim Regan. On today's episode, I spoke with Julie Ferguson, who is Executive Vice President of Senior Living for developer Ryan Companies. Ryan Companies is currently among the most active developers of senior living communities in the industry today, with more than seven projects teed up for next year and many others in the works. Senior living development, of course, is anything but easy at this point. But Ferguson and Ryan Companies are getting projects done now through those headwinds. And as they do so, they are also preparing for the incoming generation of senior living residents. We're really working with our operators today about what is the next evolution of design? What is the next evolution of services? Where are the best places to be located? Who should we be partnering with from an amenities or services perspective? Not resting on what we have today, but how are we creating the next wave of what our residents are going to want? But before we get to that interview, I would like to take a moment to highlight our upcoming BUILD conference in Chicago on November 9 and 10. The event always features the latest industry trends, fast-paced panels with industry leaders, and plenty of time to network with your peers. Tickets are on sale now. Visit SeniorHousingNews.com slash events for more information. Now, here's my interview with Julie Ferguson, Executive Vice President of Senior Living for Ryan Companies. Julie Ferguson, thank you so much for joining me on Transform this morning. So I just wanted to start with kind of an update. I saw you at the Nick Fall conference and you were you were on a, a great panel discussion there. So I know that you guys are focused on some some cool things right now, but update us what Ryan Companies is focused on right now as we're now coming up to October of 2022. Yeah, well, thank you for having me and also thank you for attending uh, the Nick panel. So always good to have a, a crowded audience. So thanks for, for joining that. Uh, you know, as we are, always, everybody's in their strategic planning and budgeting mode for next year and what are we looking at and what are we planning to do. And uh, we are really focused on the projects, still finding the markets that have the demographics that we're looking for to, that, that we believe are necessary for a successful senior living project. And the great thing about Ryan Companies is I don't have a quota. I don't have a have to get projects done. I have a let's go do good projects and markets that we think will be successful. And so when I look into 2023, you know, we have, I think, uh, seven projects right now in our pipeline that we feel good about and building a pipelines and numbers game. So we probably have 20 plus that we're actively looking at and we think, you know, seven of those or so will, will pan out. We had a pretty quiet year as far as Ryan Companies goes. So last year we did six uh, new developments and we uh, will we'll only get three new ones in the ground this year. That being said, I have nine projects that are actively under construction. Most of those finish next year. So next year we'll have a lot to do with opening projects and focused on uh, the pre-leasing of a lot of those. And, you know, as you know, we're a national platform so that seven is really spread across the country. There's no one, necessarily one part of the country that uh, is, is, uh, is taking all of that. It really is spread throughout the, the country. And the other so, piece that we're focused on, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. is uh, we are uh, getting into the active adult market. And so we are, we've got a team of folks who are uh, actively pursuing uh, some active adult projects across the country uh, with some strategic partnerships. And so that's new for Ryan uh, going into 2023. And we're really excited about that. Cool. And uh, uh, Julie, I'm sorry for for jumping in there. I just, I heard some things, I, I got excited. So 
one of the one of the reasons I'm really excited to talk with you today is because, as you know better than I do, senior living development is in an interesting spot right now in the industry. There are some pressures, I think, that make it hard to make these projects pencil out right now. Obviously, I know you had some projects underway, but I was talking with a developer recently, and he told me basically he thinks that Ryan Companies is the senior living developer doing the most work on the senior living sector right now, which given the update you just shared, I think that that's probably true or close to it. So so I'm curious, what's the key to making these projects work right now, given all of the pressures on senior living development today? Yeah, so I think, well, I know one of the keys is I've got a team of people across the country who are continuously looking for well, well-located, well-priced land. And that's, that's probably some of it. Uh, certainly, we, we are in a lot of markets. And so we, we often see opportunities that maybe others don't because we have relationships with so many different people. I think that definitely the other piece of this is because we are a national platform uh, we can take our learnings from one market to another. And so we're we're always seeing what's coming next as it relates to construction costs. So while we're bidding something, we're seeing how it's actually playing out when we're buying it. And so we get a little bit of preview, if you will, and maybe how construction pricing is going to play out, which the last couple of years hasn't been great, uh, but we're starting to see some signs of, of relief on the cost, uh, the construction cost pressure coming in the in the early part of 2023, which gives us a lot of optimism around being able to get projects done. Now, that being said, on the flip side, we've got some interest rate headwinds uh, that are headed our way or have already uh, hit our industry to a, to a certain extent. We you know, have a lot of banking relationships. And so fortunately for us thus far, we haven't run into any issues finding debt or finding equity for the projects that we want because of the size of our platform. And because we do have uh, so much, so much stuff in the works, and again, we're a national company, so we have a little bit of buying power that uh, some others may not have, and so can do some creative things as it relates to that, that that maybe some others don't have the opportunity to work with. And and so I really am very fortunate that uh, we can we can call on a lot of assets and a lot of brain power uh, that I have available here at Ryan Companies that that um, just because of scale. And because we do have uh, such a such a large platform across the country, <laughs> no, nothing is easy. Yes, yes, that's done. That's for sure. Yes, I had a I had a senior living developer tell me once. This was American House Dale Wachowski. He told me that it was his goal to be a contrarian in senior living development, meaning he wanted to do the things that other people were not doing. There's opportunity in that. Obviously, there's also risk in that. But I wanted to ask you, do you see yourself as a contrarian in the same sense? And I guess I'm curious, you know, if so, how do you think the rest of the industry, other developers can can be contrarians right now? Yeah, and I, I don't know that I see it uh, as much as being a contrarian as being uh, in a position to do some things, again, to have some opportunities that others don't. And so it allows me to keep building. And as long as we continue to believe in this space, we will continue to build in this space. And I do think we have a great opportunity if we can continue to, we will be opening projects in the next two to, to four years that will be in the lowest competitive environment that, that we've ever had. Uh, the key is to figure out how do you exist in that environment where others, where others are str- struggling or can't get things done and how do you find those competitive advantages that, that you might have. And so maybe that's, that is the definition of a contrarian. I started my career with a contrarian investor when I was at the fountains and we bought, you know, 24 projects in less than 20 months because he thought that, you know, that was the thing to be doing when nobody else was doing anything. And, and that probably also 
found a lot of my career is how do you take advantage of the opportunities that are presented uh, in front of you through all of the, the ways that, um, that you can get projects done. And so our big thing is looking at the macro level first is what markets do we believe in? Do we believe in this product type? Ryan Companies builds a lot of diff- in a lot of different sectors. And so the beauty of also, you know, that, that we don't have to, we think senior living isn't the thing to be doing, we can throttle back on senior living and push our resources to multifamily or industrial. Or if we think one of those is having some headwinds, we can push our resources to the, the different product types and the different sectors that are having the success. And so again, uh, that scale affords me a lot of flexibility in what we're, what we're doing. And as long as we continue to find good sites and good markets, we will continue to build unless there's something that's significant in the market, uh, in the senior living market overall, that maybe gives us pause or, or makes us think that oh, maybe it's not the right time. So we're really about the fundamentals. We're about the data. We're about what's happening uh, in a bigger scale. And uh, one thing I've learned in my 25 plus years uh, that I'm in the, I'm now rounding up, instead of saying specifically how long I've been in the business, uh, you can never you can time some things and there's sometimes you, you can't, you can't time a lot of things and you just have to sometimes take a calculated risk and say, okay, well, based on what we know, here's what we think the outcome is and uh, hope that uh, we, we get that mostly right. So it's uh, it's developments an interesting business from that perspective. On the topic of timing and perhaps I'm taking this out of context, but I want to, I want to drill down on something that you mentioned at Nick. You talked about how you're seeing some serious mismatches was the phrase that you used between what you might consider, you know, what you consider the value of a community and what buyers might want for it. I've heard other people talk about this right now. So flush that out. What's driving that mismatch and, and what, what, what can you do about that? You know, I would I would love to say that I knew exactly what was driving this mismatch because uh, in there's a lot of things that would indicate that it that it shouldn't be from the perspective that there's a lot of capital that's been sitting on the sidelines, a lot of capital in the space that needs to be invested, and the fact that we have a lot of a properties that are are leased up and some of them remained full during COVID. And so if when I look at the ch- the, the checklist of all the things that investors are looking for, I feel like. Huh, I've got all these things. Why wouldn't somebody want to pay uh, top dollar for that? I think the biggest challenge right now, I, I think the issue is one interest rates, which continues to work against us day after day. And and what uh, when we started when we started marketing some of these projects, it was in a different operating environment than it ended up in, and certainly that interest rate uh, affected the price. But I think the other piece is the uncertainty of it all, and so we're. On an underwriting basis, buyers might have been more aggressive uh, or more realistic in my book. I think today everybody's living in the, the space that they are concerned about what if and everybody's doing the, they're living their last biggest stress, which was occupancy loss, obviously higher, higher prices uh, on, um, on food, higher, higher wages are being paid. And we're all trying to guess what that what that is. And so everybody's got their own take on it. Every every institution has their own take on it as to how the guidance that they're giving. And I think as an industry, we're not aligned on what that guidance is at all from an industry perspective, from an operator perspective, from an investment perspective, even from a banking perspective. And so 
we all, pre-COVID, we were all pretty aligned on what stabilized occupancy was, what rent increases should be, what expense increases should be, and where should we should, how we should be underwriting a deal. And there weren't a lot of adjustments. I think today, we all just don't know, and we're all making our best guesses. And that's where that mismatch in price is coming up if somebody's being less conservative on rent and more conservative on the expense side. And again, we all just haven't agreed on what that that is. And I don't know that we'll ever reach agreement because we all also get um, guidance from our companies and the data that we're reading. And from our portfolios today, what are we experiencing today at our portfolios? And that's what we're all reacting to. So I do think fundamentally at the end of the day, it's a little bit of an underwriting uh, challenge because they're going to take my numbers and they're going to do whatever they want with them, whether I agree with it or not. And I used to be able to convince them to maybe change some stuff. I'm not having as much luck today as I had previously. And so I think that continues. And then of course, interest rate uncertainty is obviously the biggest one because long as long-term debt becomes more expensive, the price has to be adjusted from, from somewhere. And, and again, we're just, we're, at, we're out of alignment a little bit from that perspective. Something else that was interesting to me from that specific panel, you had mentioned that Ryan companies initially targeted, I think you'd said the upper, kind of the upper middle market. Eventually, though, you you moved to more high-end projects. Can you talk about why that is, why you started at the upper middle, given the huge opportunity there, but eventually kind of moved on to more of those high-end projects? What was it there that, that happened? And as you look ahead, do you ever see a day where you might get back to the upper middle market again? Yeah. And I think definitely what, what drove that was construction costs. And as construction costs rose, we had to find those markets where we could charge higher rents uh, in order to uh, get the margins that were necessary in order to uh, to hit the returns that we were expecting. And I greatly hope that someday either rents will continue to rise to offset some of that in some of these smaller, you know, upper middle or middle income markets, or construction costs will lower or a combination of the both that we can get back to some of those markets because they certainly have been some of our best performing projects from an occupancy perspective and a stabilized team perspective because there's less competition in those markets for executive directors and sales teams and and the like. And and I do know in senior living, the more stable team you have certainly uh, typically equates to, to success of a project. And so we've appreciated a long run at some of these communities from that perspective. And and I do love that, again, diversification, right? Ryan Companies is diversified as a investment company and I'm diversified geographically from a senior living perspective. And I love the fact that I can also be diversified from a product type perspective, which is part of why we work with multiple operators is so that we have multiple products. We can uh, work in lots of different types of markets. And again, we can uh, if we can afford to build a project that gets gets the returns in these smaller markets, it's been very successful for us thus far. So I would love to be able to get back to it. But I need some need some relief on the construction cost side of things, which I hope is coming. <laughs> yeah, as do I. And that that seems like the hard part of middle market senior housing in general. I've talked with people in the industry who say they have they have questions about whether, given some of the pressures on construction and development right now, whether the industry can truly meet that need by the time it is here. You know, the NORC study, I think, was updated out to 2030, which may seem like pretty far in the future, but it's, you know, seven years and change. It's not very far. 
do you feel like the the industry, do you feel hopeful and optimistic the industry can meet that need? Or do you think, I mean, again, hard to figure out what's going to happen in seven years, but do you think that the industry can meet that need given the pressures on construction and development today? Yeah, I think we're going to have a hard time meeting it. And I, you know, the other part of that equation is certainly the operating cost component of that. And, you know, that that continues to challenge it as well. I, I think it will be a, a very big challenge for us. And I will be I will love to see what innovation comes out of that because there will be people who figure out how do we make that work. And I'm, I'm very anxious to see because I'm very concerned that that market will not be served. And in my mind, your income shouldn't dictate whether you get to have a great quality of life in the last, uh, the last part of your, your life because I truly believe senior living is the best place for most people and hate that, that it would be unaccessible to certain people in the senior living population simply because of, because of costs. But right now, it's just a real challenge. And I applaud all of those operators who are really digging in to see how do we change our operating model and how do we do things more efficiently or differently or better mousetrap or different mousetrap uh, in an effort to, to solve that equation because it absolutely is our biggest need. And I, again, I can't wait to see the innovation that comes out of it. And, and uh, certainly it's, it's a lot of conversation we have with the operators we work with is how do we, how do we get there and how do we, uh, we solve that, that challenge. I know we just talked about the operator's role in this, but just given that you've spent so much time thinking about this, do you have any thoughts about what the industry can do to change to build that better mousetrap to use your words? Yeah, I think I think there's you know several things we can do. I certainly think technology is going to play a piece in that, and I'm not techno savvy enough by any means to know what that's going to look like. And I think we've just barely started down that journey, and COVID really forced us to pay attention to it as an industry, and and we we've been uh, sort of ignoring that for for quite a few years. So you know, there's lots of people, there's lots of talking, lots of pilots that are happening, and. I'm certain we haven't solved the problem yet with technology, but we have to start somewhere, right? And so I do think technology will play a, a large large part of that. I think the I think building efficiency is going to play a, a large part, and I think that's two components. One is from an apartment per size perspective, we've got to get smarter at, at what is the appropriate size of an apartment for this market and how can we how can we convince our, our future residents that, that that works for them and how do we envision, how do we create the vision for them to be able to say, yep, I can move into a 700 square foot apartment. I don't need 950 square feet. And that's, I, I'm not even going to pretend I can crack that code. What I can do is do plenty of data research about apartment sizes and success and look at our portfolio and see what has done well where. And so I can, I can approach from the building perspective, the sales side's a different story. Uh, that's the harder, certainly the harder part of it is is creating that for them. And then I think, you know, we have such amenity-rich buildings, which is amazing that we're able to offer all of those services and all of those amenities to our residents. And can we do that more efficiently and double up on spaces or rethink how we're using spaces, rethink how hallways are configured and in reality in our business, a lot of it is dictated to us by state agencies. And so are there certain things that are inefficient simply because of licensing regulation? And is there any opportunity to have those conversations with uh, regulatory agencies around, you know what, I get it, but here's how we can also solve it. And it's a better experience for the resident. It 
you know, all, all the things and we can open this up. So I think it's, I think it's a lot of, lot of different things. The reality is we need people to take care of people at the end of the day. And that costs the same, whether you're, you know, it's, it's, there's some disparity, whether you're in Austin or whether you're in Des Moines, Iowa, from a wage perspective, but at the end of the day, proportionately to your income, it's probably, you know, your margin looks the same. And so that's the toughest part. It's a people business. We're successful because of the people that we hire in our communities. And so we can't create more hours for them. We can't create, uh, you know, more days for them. And so we have to create the efficiency piece around them uh, to be successful and uh, to to uh, want, want to keep working uh, in this industry. Like you said, a lot of thought going on right now about how to do some of these things. So I'm I'm hopeful as well that we we see some really cool things in the next few years. And I, I think we will. So I want to talk to you about something else that was uh, sort of a buzz at the NIC conference, maybe even bigger than the middle market uh, this year, was this kind of groundbreaking active adult report that NIC released that after so many years of kind of one, asking the big question of what is active adult, this one finally kind of narrowly defines the product type and, and fits it into a box, if you will. So I'm curious, what did you make of that report? And you know, what, what, what can you do with that? And what do you think it means for the wider industry? Yeah, I think it's great that uh, senior living finally embraced the active adult and admitted that we need to figure this out because if we don't, somebody else will. And then somebody else gets to control the narrative. And so I think it's amazing that they did the research and I applaud the amount of effort that, that really went into that and pulling all of that together and really the first stepping stone of creating some more organization around an industry that has become a big deal in our world. I believe that active adult will do nothing but help senior living in the long term because it has those conversations with people sooner and gets them used to the idea of leaving their home sooner and gets them used to living with people of their own age and perhaps be more uh, accepting of traditional senior living when the time comes. And so I think nothing is but a positive for senior living uh, in the long term. So I'm excited that we as an industry have embraced it because, again, some multifamily groups want to say active adults multifamily and senior living wants to say it's senior living. So I think uh, us sort of saying, yep, we're going to put it over here in our camp and we're going to organize around it. I think help does nothing but help us because it does also help us have a little bit of say over the product uh, as an industry. And I think that's that's also important. Uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, we finally we finally have a, a resource so that, again, we're all now speaking a common language. And when we're talking about it, we know what we're talking about it. But as you know, just like senior living, nothing fits into a specific box sometimes. And so you'll always, I think, have these nuanced products that come out just like in senior living. And, but I think it's a great starting point for all of us, including investors, lenders, operators, developers, all now having some commonality that we understand about this business and having some historical context of what has been happening in this industry at a very rapid pace over the last five years. And when you look at the growth trajectory of this, really, it's been the last three years that it just has, you know, taken off during COVID and provided a great living opportunity or an alternative during COVID and a great development model that a little easier to get done, less expensive construction costs, less people to hire. So there's a whole lot about it right now that uh, I think is very appealing to our industry that's been struggling with all of those things for the last three years. And it, it does represent a huge opportunity. And as I said, it is something that Ryan Companies for 2023 is very focused on 
as far as part of our growth model. And it's, it's definitely something that I'm very excited to watch evolve in the future. I'm sure there'll be much more coverage on Senior Housing News, so stay tuned. Actually, um, Julie, I want to ask you something that's a little bit off the cuff. As you were talking, I was thinking about some of the other things at, at Nick that I was hearing about. Something that actually I have seen much more discussion about in recent, really in this year than I think in any year prior, has been ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governments, in new projects not always the sexiest topic, but it seems like it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of the criteria for how these projects are selected. And it sounds like incorporating these into maybe your business plan or into the development itself or what have you can help set your project apart. So I'm curious, from your perspective, what role do you see ESG in new projects these days? And and have you seen it become a little bit more important? Yeah, it's certainly last 12 months, it has uh, become a very hot and timely topic. Uh, Asha has done some some write-ups on it, which have been incredibly sort of helpful from sort of, again, contextualizing it, creating some some commonality of bound language. And I uh, uh, was on a panel or hosted a panel at the, the summer conference about it. And I learned a whole bunch from uh, some of my peers in the industry and all of the things that they are doing, certainly. Ryan Companies in the last 24 months has really uh, focused on sustainability. We're a development and construction company, so that's uh, easy for us to get our arms around and figure out how do we incorporate sustainability goals into our design and our construction and when we're looking at new developments. And then the, the governance piece and the societal piece, senior living falls very easily into those buckets. And so when we have to fill out questionnaires from our investors Uh, about such things, it's really easy on the senior living side to answer the questions about what are we doing from a governance perspective. We have lots of security and rules around our medical data and our resident data and how we interact with vendors and what we can and can't do as far as having a a, a therapy company come in and, and have a lease in our building. We're very, very intentional and very specific uh, from that perspective. From a societal perspective, we do a lot of fantastic things. We don't always... We're not, we're not great at marketing them is the problem. I mean, think about when I think about the number of times that various groups get to use our meeting community, meeting areas in our communities, and you kind of tally that all up. If you think about our residents who are volunteering at a library or teaching kids to read or knitting uh, hats for uh, newborns, there's so many things that we do at the community level that we don't capture and how are we interacting and the fact that senior living is a huge employment base for any community that we go into and the, the employment opportunities. So again, I think it's one of those things that we, we all do. Uh, we don't talk about it enough and we don't focus on it enough. And there's probably more we could do if we really thought about it. But I, I will tell you that the, all of our investors that we've worked with in the last 24 months are asking those questions. And I would say maybe Four years ago, nobody was asking those questions, and now it's it's become front and center. And if you look at all of the major investors in this space, all of them have ESG pages on their uh, websites. All of them talk about what their goals are about carbon uh, net neutrality and water usage and what is their portfolio going to look like from energy usage in the next 20 years. And uh, so it's, it's definitely front and center at Ryan Companies. And as I said, particularly the sustainability piece for us, because that is where we have a lot of impact because we, are, we design, we build, 
and we develop. And so there's a lot of impacts that we can have in that whole process as far as construction waste and are we building the are we designing the most efficient and energy energy usage and water usage usage buildings from the get-go? Anyway, it's a it's a new way of thinking. Uh, it's sort of like, but again, we do a lot of that stuff already. We just didn't talk about it. It was sort of during COVID when everybody's like, oh, let's talk about air quality. And then we kind of went back and looked at all the things we were doing and the types of filters and the air exchanges. And we're like, well, we do a lot of this stuff, but nobody ever asked us about it before because no one cared. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to know how your, you know, what your air quality is or what your cleaning procedure was during COVID. I mean, that's not brochure worthy. At least it wasn't before COVID, but now it is, right? Uh, so again, I think it's an evolution of our business and it's an evolution of the world that we live in, as well as the people who, are, who invest in, and provide money to this business, that they're pushing us to be better, we're pushing them to be better, and we're pushing our, our communities to start talking about all the great things that they're doing at the community. And let's, let's, let's contextualize it from that perspective. It's just, it's new language. Uh, for a lot of things we're already doing. That's a that's a great point and something that I, I don't always keep in mind that the industry is already doing some of the letters of, of ESG. So it's it's very interesting. We we have a little bit of time left, Julie, so I want to get your take on the future. Starting with development, obviously again, the last three years have been <laughs> unpredictable, uh, to say the least. But give, give it your shot as you look ahead to the next six to 12 months. What do you see conditions in senior living development doing? Do you think things get harder? Do you see anything maybe getting easier? Uh, yeah, tell us about what you see in the future. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a combination of, of both getting harder and getting easier, depending on what, what part we're talking about. I, as I said, we were seeing some positive shifts in the construction side of things, both from a pricing perspective and a supply chain uh, perspective, which certainly has been one of our one of the biggest challenges in our industry. So I think we've got uh, some opportunity on that side of the equation uh, that we have a little bit more visibility into simply because of what we do. And so I'm, I'm encouraged uh, that that makes it a little bit easier for, for others to start uh, perhaps getting getting back on the development side of things. I think the the thing that I can't predict today is land sellers. And uh, land sellers have continued to uh, kind of hold firm on their values. And, and when, is that, when is that going to change? Which I think also comes back to this, what are the market opportunities in some of these smaller markets for us that I, you know, land prices certainly are a part of the equation. We are starting to see some you know, influence of interest rates, people are, land sellers are understanding things cost more and so uh, are a little bit more open to some of that discussion. I think the thing that I have the least visibility to and probably is my biggest concern is this labor piece, simply because we're also not going to materialize a whole thousands of caregivers that we need in this industry. And that's probably just in the state of Texas alone, we need thousands of caregivers, right? They're not going to suddenly materialize overnight. And so while wages may either flatline or have less of an increase in the coming months. I think we, we just, the, the visibility into where the workers coming from in order to, uh, to work at our communities is my biggest concern, is that's a longer term uh, challenge and something that, uh, you know, that's, uh, I can read all the, the data and all the statistics, but it still makes me uh, concerned that the, the workers that we need and the qualified and, uh, and dedicated people that work in our communities, will they continue to show up when there are job postings and will we have opportunities in our communities? And that's, I think, the hardest piece to predict. Uh, yeah. will, this be, will this be the industry of choice 
And uh, it's been a hard industry for the last several years. And uh, as you know, we've lost a lot of qualified people that have moved on to other other things that were less hard. And I don't blame them one bit. Uh, will they come back or will we be able to attract new people uh, to this? So I think that's my biggest concern. And so as part of our uh, market and data analytics, we've really focused a lot on job growth, types of jobs that people, the employment workforce that is in those cities, what are, what are their specialties? What are they, what is it made up of? And of course, four years ago, we would have never been like, ah, we'll build it. We'll find people. No big deal. We got this. And so it's factoring into some of our decision making about locations and, you know, driving some of the locations to the top of the list and driving others that we were a little bit more concerned about. So that is certainly my biggest concern right now. And I don't have enough visibility or enough knowledge to know what when that's coming. And all I can do is keep paying attention and and be smart about, you know, the decisions that we're making related to that. Yeah, and it seems like the rest of the industry is, is in a similar yep. boat right now with regard to yep. labor. Just one one last thing, and then and then I think we have to wrap up here. But I always like to leave these podcasts with just kind of a "what comes next" question. So this is your chance to tell whatever what should we what should we expect to see out of Ryan Companies next? And this really can be anything you're working on that you're excited about, or anything else you want to tap. Yeah, I the thing I love about my job is I do get to work with multiple operators. And so I get to see a lot of great ideas and I get to see a lot of different platforms. And the best part about senior living is while we have this whole population of people we need to serve, everybody wants something different. And I think it's my job to provide enough variety of product to find something that resonates with our future residents or even our our today's residents because not everybody wants to live in the same type of community. Not everybody wants the same amenities. Not everybody wants a suburban location or an infill location. And uh, as a senior living industry, we have such an opportunity to have such a wide variety of projects and offerings because everybody wants something different. And so we, we get to create very different, different ideas, different ways we approach things. And that to me is the most exciting part of the next 10 years. And we're really working with our operators today about about what's next and laying some groundwork about what is the next evolution of design? What is the next evolution of services? Where are the best places to be located? Who should we be partnering with from a amenities or services perspective? And there are other ways to to accomplish things. And that doesn't have innovation doesn't happen overnight, as we talked about. But I think that's uh, certainly Ryan's focused on not resting on what we have today, but how are we creating the next uh, the next wave of, of what our, our residents are going to want. And so it's a lot of fun because I get to talk to a lot of really smart people who have a lot of great ideas and I get to be part of that. Well, those are those are good optimistic words to end on. So Julie Ferguson, thank you so much for coming on Transform and, and thank Thank you to Ryan Companies for making this happen. We'll be back soon with another episode. But for now, uh, I will bid you all adieu. And again, Julie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming Build Conference here in Chicago on November 9 and 10. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening. 